Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukeShow.com and live across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Good morning and welcome to it, The Michael Duke Show. It is Wednesday. <laughs> I was going to say it's Monday, but it's not. It's Wednesday. Oh, man, hump day. <clears throat> Such a fast week. Um, well, I hope you. I hope you had a good. Uh, I hope you had a good weekend. I hope you had a good, relaxing, restive, 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 restorative, restive weekend. Um, and uh, you are back at it and ready to go. Fourth of July, of course. Uh, pretty sedate. Uh, around my neck of the woods, although I did notice that at midnight on Monday, <clears throat> midnight going into Tuesday, that uh, some people just could not wait to start setting off their fireworks at midnight. I thought that was, uh, I thought that was neighborly of them. I mean, you know, I mean, not that I was, I was still up, <laughs> I was still up doing stuff, but uh, yeah, no, it's uh, it's you know, what a great weekend. Um, Couple nice, really nice warm days here in South Central, and then a couple cooler, more cloudy, windy days. But you know, and of course, this morning it looks like fog and rain is what it feels like. But that's uh, you know, it's okay. It's okay. I got a couple nice days of sitting outside, grilling, did a little yard work, got some, uh, uh, built my, I bought my wife for Mother's Day. I, <laughs> It just shows you how far behind I am. I bought my wife this really nice um, uh, f a box, like a like a gardening box, uh, you know, like two by four uh, corrugated metal looking, you know, nice thing. Got that all built up and set up and filled it with dirt. And she got her sunflowers in it and did some other gardening and weed whacking and, you know, moved some vehicles and picked up some stuff. Did some of my honeydew. So that I could feel a little bit more relaxed. Nothing worse than having a honeydew list and just kind of saying, man, I just want to sit on this couch and let my brain rot. Um, but uh, got a lot of that stuff out of the way and just had a just had a great, great weekend. Um, enjoyable. Absolutely enjoyable. Uh, I feel pretty restored uh, overall. Um, I think, uh, you know, I got sick last week and I think a lot of it was, um, um, just kind of running hard, uh, running hard. And, uh, so I got some extra sleep uh, got some extra relaxation in and got to spend some time with the fam and it, it you know, cooked out. Did I just, all the stuff, all the stuff that you normally have on a 4th of July weekend. It was quite, it was the quintessential perfect 4th of July weekend for me. So I hope yours was as well. I mean, I barely left the house. 
which I know for some of you is like, 4th of July, we're going across the thing. We're going to go do this, and we're going to other people's houses, and we're going to barbecues. And I'm just like, nope, staying home, cooking on my own grill, doing my own thing, watching my own movies, hanging out with my own family. That's the perfect weekend. I feel like I'm a hermit. I feel like the older that I get, the more hermity I get. Like I don't want to leave the house at all when I'm on uh, when I'm on a break. I just want to I just want to relax here and hang out. That's that just, you know, I don't know. <clears throat> I guess to each his own. To each his own. I, I see all the Instagram or the Facebook posts of everybody who's like, yeah, I'm down here and wherever. We just packed the whole family up. And I'm just like, ooh, this seems like a lot of work. I think we'll just hang out here. Uh, it could be laziness or it could just be that that's what we prefer. I don't know. Anyway, the long and the short of that is, is that I hope that you guys had a fantastic weekend. Um, it's... Uh, it's a, it's just a beautiful, oh, it's a beautiful thing. Well, the best thing about the five day work, uh, five day weekend is the three day work week afterwards. So we got three days this week to do all of our stuff and hang out and, uh, and, uh, get the information, talk about all the stuff that happened and do all that kind of stuff. So, we're going to dive into that. Today, uh, Ed King, economist Ed King, is going to be joining us. Ed is, uh, he's been on a whirlwind trip uh, around the world doing stuff. But before he left, he wrote an article uh, back in June. Um, in fact, one month ago today, he wrote an article in his uh, blog, which you can find over at kingeconomicsgroup.com. And uh, it's an article that talks about the reason Alaska still doesn't have a fiscal plan. Um, shortly after it came out, I sent him an email and said, or a message and said, hey, Ed, can you come on? He said, I'm flying away and blah, blah, blah. But he's back. He's back, baby. He's back in black. He's ready to go. And he's going to kick off this new week with a discussion on the real reason why Alaskans still don't have a fiscal plan. And this is really a great breakdown on um, all the reasons and what he expects. And and uh, it's a, like I said, I think it's a really good look at what's happening uh, and what's happened with the fiscal plan. So I'm going to, um, uh, I'm going to anyway, post that up in the chat room. Folks in the chat room can go take a look at that article prior to Ed coming on with us in hour two. And so we're going to, we're going to talk about that. Meanwhile, um, with five days, you'd think we'd have some, a lot of good stuff. It's just, it, it's just, you know, it's, it's a quiet, it's peaceful. Um, I mean, we had a few interesting things happen. There's been some weirdness. Um, there was a shooting on the Glen highway, uh, on, uh, I guess it was Saturday night. No, I guess it was Monday night. Um, I keep thinking this is the weekend. Um, the police, uh, the police had uh, uh, heard uh, there'd been response uh, reports of gunfire and gunshots going off out in the Birchwood area, which is just north of Eagle River. For those of you who don't know where Birchwood is, um, and on the Glen Highway, and so troopers responded. And they pulled their their cars over after spotting an SUV 
that was stopped at the South Birchwood exit. They noticed that the SUV's rear hatch was open and a man was standing there with apparently a rifle in his hand. Um, And then when he was told to put it down, he advanced on the troopers uh, with the rifle in his hand. And one of the officers shot and hit him. Um, and, uh, when they rendered aid to the man, they found, also found a handgun on him. And anyway, he died later at the hospital and there's no real under and there's there and they don't, they're not saying whether or not it was connected to the shots fired report, but you know, I don't know. So this is just a little weird. This is like five 30 in the morning on, uh, five <clears> 30 <throat> in the morning on Sunday or Monday. Um, I'm not, not clear which Sunday, Sunday, 5:30 AM on Sunday, they open fire. Uh, so that was kind of one of those weird what's going on there moments. Uh, what else? Um, oh, there was a fire at the Whittier fuel dock. Um, the Harbor master said the dock is currently unusable, but apparently, and according to the AP reports, the, uh, the the fishermen heard a large boom and people turned to look and the small craft that was there at the dock was on fire, fully engulfed in fire and flames. And then they uh, then it sank and uh, there were two people. Nobody apparently was life threateningly injured. Two people were medevaced out and uh, they are uh, being treated. But um, no, <clears throat> no, uh, no other news on that other than, uh, you know, that is the most dangerous part it, from my understanding. And I've worked on boats when I was younger and, and always had a love of all things of the ocean and all that kind of stuff. But my understanding has always been that the most dangerous part of owning a boat and being on a boat in those areas is when you're refueling. Because that is when there's a true, true danger of, uh, of something like that happening. One errant spark and boom. Uh, definitely don't want to have that happen. So I'm glad to hear that everybody's okay. But the Whittier fuel dock is uh, unusable at the moment. And uh, we'll, see, we'll see what happens uh, as, it, uh, as it goes through. What else? Uh, the Big Mount Marathon went on which good for them. Uh, I can't think of a personally, um, well, look at me. I can't think of a less fun thing to do than to try and run up a mountain, but it's a big tradition and these folks are dedicated to it. And, uh, Christine, uh, Christy Marvin wins for the third time on the female division of the Mount Marathon. And, uh, finally the big news for those of you who have been waiting for years is, um, the uh, Nanilchik uh, clam fishery has got is open for a four day window, a four day window uh, over the weekend, and they had a great time. This is the first time in a decade that they were able to uh, do any kind of clamming, and boy, howdy, was it crowded out there. <laughs> There's some photos on Facebook and some other places, and the ADN's got an article. There are a lot of people uh, out there doing their thing, uh, making it work. And uh, and they did counts at the door. They had fish and game, and they had the troopers out there. 
Uh, counting Clams. That sounds like a rock band. Counting cl- It's not Counting Crows. It's Counting Clams. Um, and they were out there uh, just making a hot, hot mess, uh, getting things done. So good job for all the uh, good job to all the folks who went out there and enjoyed it. I hope it was delicious. I love me some clams. I love me some clams. And for the first time ever, it's uh, it's going to be a fun. It's going to be a fun. T- it was a fun time. It was going to be. It was a fun time. Because it happened over the week, four-day weekend. So, anyway, there you go. Um, I got some other headlines here, more of a political nature that we could talk about here coming up into the next bit. I suppose I should open up the phone lines as well just to see how your weekend went and to see what you guys wanted to do. Uh, so, maybe we'll do that coming up. Uh, again, Ed King going to be joining us at the top of the hour. For hour two, he's going to be with us for the full hour. We'll be hanging out. I'm going to see what the chat room wants to talk about. And uh, more. It's all good. Uh, We're getting on into it. The Wednesday edition of The Michael Duke Show. Live across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Back with more right after this. Broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Well, hi there. Howdy, my friends. How are you doing? Are you... Are you all ready? You all ready to... Man, that alarm went off this morning. I was like, oh, that's awful early. I was awful early. I've been sleeping in every day for the last five days. That's awful early. Um, All right. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Bill was happy to be first this morning. Good morning, Dad. Morning. Uh, Good morning. Good morning. Did lots of things, says um, uh, Brian says, great weekend, did lots of MD things. I don't know what that means. Um, uh, oh, he said, so she uh, wife wanted Italian food, chick flicks, so I was a couch potato. Wait, that's being an MD thing is a lot of, I didn't spend a lot of time on the couch this weekend. Uh, I did spend a lot of time in the studio. I was working on uh, the Chris Story's book. Uh, Finishing up Chris Story's book, I spent uh, more hours than I care to count doing that. Uh, so I was working, quote unquote, just not as it was the good stuff. Uh, Anthony said, I sm- slow smoked a leg of lamb for 10 hours. Oh, 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 man. Uh, he said, I did the Duke Holst- Duke's holster thing. I... I I don't know if I should be amused or offended. I don't know if I should be amused or offended by that. Um, you know, that's that's what it is. Um, did the Wath uh, Brian did the Wasilla parade as well? 
Um, Jerrica said her son is still at the grandpa's, uh, so they didn't do anything. Husband spent a few hours working his side job, but otherwise we just relax at home, had Subway for dinner. I didn't even cook last night. Oh, Jerrica. Oh, Subway for dinner. I mean, wow. That's, but it's relaxing, right? You didn't have to do anything. Um, uh, okay. Let's go here. Uh, no traffic. Um, that's what Marcia says. She goes, I stay at home, no traffic. I, I like that. I, I'm all about that. Um, <laughs> oh man, living in Houston on the 4th of July, it, New Year's is a doozy. It's where all the fireworks stands are. Absolutely. Um, uh, let's see what else. Um, did anyone go to car launch or see it? I didn't. I've seen it before. I've seen videos of the car launch where they launched the car off the bluff. It's interesting. Um, the only way Anthony said my bud is running up a mountain is if a bear is chasing me and I ran out of ammo. Even then, I may just choose to meet my maker. Uh, how about next year, says Brian. We do a six o'clock club uh, float in the parade next year. That would be fun. Maybe we should do something like that. That would be, uh, that would be fun. What did, what, let me think on that for a little bit. Uh, moose hunting weather on the coast of the Bering Sea. Um, let's see. Uh, Bob, Bob, a week, our weekend, uh, currently smoking Canadian bacon says Jeannie. Oh, damn. I love me Canadian bacon. Um, you prompted me to check the retention on holsters. Oh, yeah, I do that every now and then just to make sure that my Kydex holsters are still, you know, not been wore out or whatever. You check the retention. Um, Isn't that called ham? Canadian bacon. Isn't that called ham? No, technically, and Je- I love Jeannie that she brings this out. Technically, it's not ham. Ham is... The bone in, like the leg, right? The thigh, the pork and the butt, the shoulder and the butt. Um, Canadian bacon is actually pork tenderloin. It's the it's the loin that's the tenderest part. That's Canadian bacon. Um, <laughs> the six o'clock club float in the parade with a bunch of us with coffeeless, bloodshot eyes, barely aware of reality. What could possibly go wrong? That would be fun. That would be that would be fun. We'll have to think about that. All right. Well, let's get back into it. I was going to go look at something else in the break, but we didn't do it because I was doing the things. Let's jump into it. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. Like and share. Lock and like and follow. But that. There we go. Okay, let's uh, let's get back into it, shall we? 
I've gone ahead and opened up the phone lines for those of you who may want to participate telephonically. God, that's a fun word. Telephonically. What's the other one? Telephony? That's the that's the actual people, the 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 work that people who work on telephones do is telephony. Something like that. I sometimes I love words. Just I just love it. Uh, but telephonic, that's a, that is a fun word. Uh, anyway, if you'd like to participate telephonically, all you have to do is give us a call. 907-433-3150. Which reminds me to say thank you to one of our uh, sponsors, Satellite West. You can find them over at SatelliteWest.com. Broadcasting across the state, they're the ones that help... Uh, uh, they help bring you the show each and every day. And wherever you are in the state of Alaska, whether you're digging for clams down in Ninilchik or you're up looking for child care in Kotzebue, or if you're, I don't know, anywhere, they can help you stay connected uh, with uh, Internet, telephone calls, text messages, whatever it is. Satellite West has got you covered. Find out more about them at Satellite West. Anyway, phone lines are open, 907-433-3150. What did you do this weekend? I mean, you could tell me. That's I'm down with that in the first hour here. If you want to tell me what you did, whether it's uh, Brian was like, I did some MD things this weekend, and like Michael Duke's things. And I'm like, what does that mean exactly? And he's like, I sat on the couch. I was a couch potato. No, wait a minute. That's not what I meant. I'm not always a couch potato. Um, sometimes I am, sometimes I'm not, but that's, uh, that's, that's how it worked. And then somebody else said that we should have a parade float in the Wasilla parade, uh, because I technically, I live in Wasilla, um, not in the city, but in the area outside of Wasilla. But they said we should have a six o'clock club parade float in the, in the 4th of July day parade, which that would be, that would be fun. I, I question mark. I don't know. It would be kind of cool. Um, it'd be fun to get a bunch of folks together uh, to uh, to man the float um, and, uh, you know, come on out there and just parade it on through. That would be fun. That would be fun. We'll have to think about that. We'll have to think about how that works and uh, getting what's going on. Uh, he was thinking about getting a radio antenna and a bunch of people sitting around with huge coffee cups listening to smartphones, radios and translators. Yeah, that'd be great. Have people sitting around with iPads, like big fake iPads that are, you know, over-exaggerated and and the radio tower. And yeah, I mean, it would be it would be a fun thing. Broadcasting live around the world. I mean, kind of thing, you know, it'd be small generator, large coffee pot. We should just have a huge coffee mug there that says six o'clock club on the side of it or something like a big fake coffee mug, you know, that, that uh, I'm standing in or something waving. I'm doing, and of course, I'm doing the queenly wave right as we go by. That'll be fun. A six o'clock club float of a bunch of us with coffeeless, bloodshot eyes, barely aware of reality. What could possibly going? What could possibly be going on? What could possibly go wrong with that? Oh, man, it would. It would. Uh, it would be fun. It would be funny. Funny. Um. Every, and everybody's there for it. Everybody wants to go. It would be, that would be a big mug. Yes, Rick. I know. It's a comment on how big I am. It's a it would be a big mug. 
It would definitely have to be at least a trash can size mug. Um, all right. Um, what other stories do I want to hit on this morning uh, before we take calls or do whatever else? There's a couple stories. Um, again, we could see the um, the feel uh, from the Alaska news media as to what's going on still hitting in on uh, the vetoes and the effect of the vetoes on education. This time a little bit more um, from the outside, you know, off-center kind of shot across the bow. Uh, this one from the Alaska Beacon, Claire Strempel uh, writing the article this weekend uh, talking about Dunleavy veto cuts head start increase as Dunleavy veto cuts head start increase as centers struggle to pay teachers and serve children in need. At least the headline here gets something right. It was a cut to the increase, right? That's that's the benefit here. And that's what seems to be missed on this whole discussion with um, uh, with the governor's vetoes, is that they can't really be that upset because the overall budget was an increase of something like 6%. Well, he cut it down to three and a half percent. So it's still and it's not really even a cut. It's just a reduction of the increase. Right. This is the classic Tony Knowles kind of thing that I used to talk about all the time that I get so pissed about because he'd be like, well, I cut the budget. Well, no, you cut the increase to the budget. The net effect is still an overall increase. It's not a cut to the budget. It was a cut to the in be precise, Tony. And, of course, we've seen that kind of voodoo economics work in the past with people where they're just like, but he cut the budget. I mean, he, he cut it. He's, he's all upset. And, no, it was a cut to the increase. Um, and so at least the headline on this gets it right. But you can see, again, now we're talking about, again, trying to tie this education or this Head Start cut to uh, education and everything else. Seven of the 17 programs are on notice that federal funding is in jeopardy without changes. So the legislature this year earmarked $5 million for an increase to the state's Head Start program so they could match federal contributions, which is always the hook, right? Oh, we'll give you free money. You've just got to pony up 10%, 20%, whatever the magical number is, and we'll give you this free money. This is, this is the problem. Can I just say from the bottom of my heart, government is the problem. Uh, you know, a lot of these things could be figured out on our own, but no, we've gotten the government involved in everything. And I'm, I, you know, I have kind of given up hope that we're going to ever reverse this. We've got multiple generations of people who've gone through the public education system who've been told at every opportunity that government is the solution to every problem. Instead of government is the root of most problems and the solution to almost none, which is kind of the school of thought that I grew up with. Not from my parents necessarily, not from a, but from a lot of reading and a lot of talking and a lot of analysis, I think that's most of the problem. But, okay, that's fine. So here we've got, again, another federal program that requires a match to the state. Well, the governor slashed the increase. So... It's still an increase, but he slashed the increase to $1.5 million. So they're still receiving what they have historically been receiving. 
And now they got a $1.5 million increase. You think this would be a good thing. No, the $5 million is what they really wanted. And even that is not enough. As you go through and look at the, the article and it talks about one of the program directors in Wasilla who runs a Head Start and it's a problem and he can't hire people and teacher's aides right now, they could make more money working at Target than they do working for him, And but it's important. And if they'd gotten his share of the $5 billion, he would have gotten another 500000 in increased teacher salaries. Instead, he's only going to get 150000 150, And I mean, the, look, there's a there's times are tough all over. Let me just put it that way. Times are tough all over. And as we look more and more to the government to try and fix all these problems, and in this case, Head Start is a program that is not just about getting kids ready for kindergarten. It's really, I mean, first of all, it's kind of government, in, it, it's it's kind of government-funded child care all over, I mean, overall, right? Because it's supposed to be for getting kids ready. But see, then they get into some of the thing. It's not just education. Here's what the article says in the Alaska Beacon. Head Start is early education, but it has a focus on families, too. That means working with parents to help achieve stable housing and employment, things that can stabilize a child's life for better health and learning outcomes. Are we so what exactly are we doing? We're teaching the kids. We're helping the parents get uh, housing and jobs and we're it is it i mean i i just don't even i just don't even know um head start is uh, according to trevor stores who leads alaska children's trust he says head start is a actual primary prevention they work with the entire family connecting them to services that's welfare um connecting them to services Providing home support, things of natural nature. By doing that, they really address social and economic challenges, health and education, as well as just general family and community issues. Okay. Again, they still got $1.5 million worth of increase than what they've done before. But you can see the way the headlines read. Again, it's about the governor's cuts. And so you could see this is going to be. A... Now, let's move on over. This I've never look. We've never participated in Head Start. My kid, I, I, it's a lot of this is so foreign to me, in so many ways, um, that I, I have a hard time wrapping my head around kind of the concept and the idea of going to the government, hat in hand, and saying, "Please raise my children for me, or take care of my children, or." You know, it's such a foreign concept to me. I have such a hard time. But apparently there's a lot of things, there's a lot of stuff going on here. But they're not servicing a lot of, um, they're not servicing a lot of kids in the long run, these Head Start programs. Um, let's see, uh, how many teachers, there was a, there was a mention of the number. Um, let's see, 18 four-year-olds in a classroom. Oh, maybe it was another article that I was reading. It It doesn't seem like they're serving a lot of people in these Head Start programs. He keeps saying, if I had more money, I could take care of more people. Well, sure, if many programs had more money, they could take care of a lot of people. But I guess you have to show me that this, that the benefit of this is working. 
again, going to government for the solution to me is not always the first and foremost thing that we should be talking about. Then we go from this story about the cuts to the Head Start increase, which again, it's still an increase. It went from $5 million worth of increase to $1.5 million of increase, still getting more money. To an article from Claire Strempel that, uh, another article, uh, she's prolific, um, that said, would-be child care providers in remote Alaska say it's all but impossible to get a state license. Now, remember during the discussion, uh, we're going to come back to this because we've got to go to break, but remember during the early part or mid part of the session when all of a sudden people started talking about the child care crisis? Do you remember that? How that the children, it's just, it was going to be bad all over the state. And what we needed to do is we needed more state funding for child care because we couldn't do, well, there's another thing in here that maybe we should be looking at, like maybe getting the state out of the way of what's happening. We're going to talk about that here in a minute. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like... America used to be streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay. Uh, all right. Oh, God. Let's go back up here. Um, okay. Mm, Jerrica said she'd do there to be the float. She'd, she'd totally do it. Um, Harold says, I wonder what would happen if an alien landed and listened to this show first. I don't know. They'd probably go search for intelligent life on another planet. Um, <laughs> we could throw samples of beard curler coffee off the float, then get into a heated fiscal argument with a crowd about what to do with the dividend. That would be awesome. That would be awesome. Um, uh, the effect of the veto had nothing to do with education. Bad education is, ju- is just that no matter how much wasted, bad education is just that no matter how much wasted funds go into it. Um, okay. Uh, okay. Going through it. Going through it. Um Government is not a solution to our problem. Government is the problem. That's Ronald Reagan. Yeah. I mean, that's, I was kind of paraphrasing that. That is really, really beginning of what's going on there. Um, okay. Uh, Matt School Health Foundation is handing out money left and right to promote Marxist agendas. Says Terry. I don't know exactly what they're doing, but apparently something. And then Chris says, students and teachers were protesting the school cuts in Fairbanks. In the parade? 
in the parade. Um, all right. Uh, uh, the float would be skirted with a beard, said Chris. The float would be skirted with beards all the way around. That would be, that would, I, that would, that would totally be fun. That would totally be fun. <clears throat> Wouldn't it? That would totally be a fun thing to do. Um, and Jeannie says, I could provide the vehicle to tow and the trailer to build the float on. Well, then we'd just have to do floats. You know, we'd have to do it in Wasilla. We'd have to do it down in Soldatna. Couldn't do it in the same day in Fairbanks, but we could do Wasilla to Soldatna, maybe, depending on when they did the parades. That would be fun. That would be fun. Um, all right. You guys are talking me into it. I don't know why. I don't know. Was it $700 to get a float or something in the parade? Uh, that's what it was at Fairbanks at some point. It's like six or $700. It's been a long time since I've been in a parade. But, uh, yeah, we should do something like that. That would be, that would raise some awareness. Now, it would be beneficial if we were actually on the air on terrestrial radio in Wasilla. Uh, there's a bunch of you out there. But I guess that'd be another way of highlighting it, right? That would be, that would be fun. It would win the most disgusting float, said Harold. Because he's always such a ray of sunshine. Always. I mean, okay. I mean, it could be one of the most disgusting floats. I mean, I'm not talking about picking my boogers and flinging them at the crowd or anything, but, you know, whatever. I'll do anything for a prize. I'll do anything for a prize. Yeah, free the beard rally. Free the beard rally out there. Get it done. Uh, Amy Morells is talking about child trafficking. Uh, she's talking about the Sound of Freedom movie, which is the Jim Caviezel movie, which um, I can't wait to see. It looks powerful. That was put out by Angel Studios, which I've given some money to over the last couple of years. They're putting out some things. These guys have got some great stuff. This movie looks amazing. Um, it looks absolutely amazing. Um, I, I, you know, um, put a jail, free the beard, put a jail cell on the trailer. Uh, you should actually do a charity event, 25 bucks each to lose the beard. Hey, if I could get a bunch of people to give me 25 bucks, I would shave this beard off because it'll be back in about three weeks. I get the five o'clock shadow at like noon. So it doesn't take me long to, uh, to grow this thing. Trust me, my barber's like, holy cow, this thing grows faster than the hair on your head. I'm like, I know, there's almost nothing up here, and it's all coming out down here. Can you reverse it? So, anyway, I have to talk about it. Free the beard. Uh, back of my t-shirt for the show says, politicians fear the beard. Because it sounded good. I don't know, it's fun. It sounded good. <sighs> it would be sacrilegious. No, I mean, I got the face of a 12-year-old boy underneath here. I would definitely look a, a lot younger. If I Grecian Formula 44'd my face and my hair and shaved my beard down, you'd think I was like 38 or something. It's really just like that. Uh, but I could, I mean, it would grow back fast. We'll figure it out. I mean, I'm not doing the no-shave November thing. Because I would look like Grizzly Adams by the time the thing was over. All right, here we go. Jumping back into it. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio.
The Michael Duke Show. Not your daddy. Wait, sorry. Not your daddy? Ooh, not your daddy's talk radio. <laughs> Whew, I was scared for a second. Thought we were going down. Here's Michael Dukes and the show. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Getting down with my bad self in the studio. Loving a little thump thump here in the morning. Enjoying it. Welcome back. It is the short week. Oh, baby. Uh, Wednesday edition of the show after the long weekend. I guess that's the second best thing is the uh, is the three-day work week after the long weekend, right? I mean, maybe the 4th of July should always fall on a Tuesday. It's, it was kind of weird, right? It doesn't normally do that, but I, I was, I was kind of down with that. I was ready to go. Um, all right. What was I talking about before the, oh, I was talking about the child care, child care. Um, according to Jenny Armstrong, child care is a, is a state crisis, a state crisis. It, well, it, I mean, it's, it's a problem, right? I mean, that's, it's going on. It, uh, uh, let's see. Uh, I want to make sure that I, I want to make sure that I am <clears throat> quoting properly. Um, this is becoming a public health crisis, says Jenny Armstrong, uh, citing the importance of the first thousand days of brain development as a crucial time for good early education opportunities. <laughs> so I guess. My question is this. What happened to the parents in this scenario? What happened to the the first thousand? For those of you who can't do math because you didn't have a Head Start program when you were younger. Uh, the first thousand days is the first three years, right? 365 days times three is just over a thousand days. Um, the first thousand days of brain development is a crucial time for early education opportunities. I don't disagree with that. My question is, should we be worried about child health care and the people? Do, what what happened to mom and dad? What happened to, you know, reading to your kids and doing all that kind of stuff? And they're like, well, but people got to go to work. Yeah. Um, again. Maybe I'm a little bit of a freak of nature here, but I supported our family of seven, right? Five kids, man, wife, five kids on a single income. Now, it wasn't always pleasant. It wasn't always. In fact, my, my wife had to laugh. She goes, you know, our son came in the other day and he was talking again about how poor we were at one point. I'm like, poor. We were never poor. We were always middle class. But she's like, yeah, he. Remembered we, at one point we had to have a kerosene heater or something to heat the th and I'm just like, but that was like, there was a problem with something and we were heating. Anyway, it's funny how kids remember things a little differently. My child, my apparently my son is like, well, we were just poor children in the South. Kind of, but no, I mean we made it. We were middle income, sometimes lower in middle income, sometimes higher middle income, but we were always like a middle income family that did it. So I guess. To me, my children were always more important than chasing the almighty dollar. I That's why we decided early on that uh, we were going to homeschool the kids. Terry stayed home to take care of them, to learn to learn them up. 
because obviously I can't speak English, to learn them up in the ways of, a, of an adult, to teach them a love of reading and everything else, math, science, you know, just kind of do those things. And so I guess <clears throat> this whole idea that somehow child care is becoming a public health crisis, first of all, this all centers out of choices, right? All centers out of choices. Now, somebody will say, well, what about single income? Well, I understand that there's a problem there and there needs to be some other issues. But for a dual income, for a dual person household, dual family, dual head of family, mom and dad, whatever, this should not be an issue. We should not be sacrificing our children on the altar of expediency of making the almighty buck. That's a whole different story, but I wanted to get that out there for, I wanted to say that first. That's a whole different show. And I'm sure somebody right now is screaming at their radio about what a moron I am, but that's okay. You can, I mean, it's fine, but that's a whole other thing. But let's talk about this, the irony of this whole situation. The irony of the whole situation is that they spent a goodly part, goodly part of this last session talking about childcare. And as I said earlier, you know, Julie, uh, uh, Julie Armstrong or Jenny Armstrong and Julie Colum on opposite ends of the political spectrum have both identified child care as a legislative priority. Um, uh, Armstrong goes on to say, oh, this is, again, a public health crisis. We have to solve this. One of the big issues is that all the departments are spread so thin. So child care is in crisis. So there are 10 other things the department is dealing with. Child care is in crisis. So they're going on and on about how there's this lack of child care. And, of course, the big thing is, is that they want the government, the state, to start spending more and funding more child care. You want to know what would be a good way to get more child care in? Maybe making it easier for people to get licensed in the state. This is article in the, uh, again, the Alaska Beacon, talking about would-be child care providers in remote Alaska say it's all but impossible to get a state license. See, government created the problem, in part, and now we have to turn to government to fix the problem, right? They create these hurdles and regulations uh, and these high bars to entry, and then it becomes a crisis, and then they're like, oh, my God, it's a crisis. We've got to fully fund this because it's a crisis. It's a crisis that you have created, government. Now, this is a problem of both federal scope and of state scope. Um, the state turns around and says, well, we have, we can't do anything because that's a federal requirement. Meanwhile, they talk about in here how that, well, let me, let me start at the beginning. A lot of these rural communities have a problem because they cannot get enough childcare workers because you cannot get, uh, support if you live out in the bush. The, uh, for example, they talk about in Kotzebue, um, there is 150 children in Kotzebue that could be enrolled in child care, but because the state's licensing process is hard to navigate all the requirements, it makes it all but impossible to meet, to meet the state's requirements in the remote parts of the state. For example, her internet connection was a barrier to getting her background check approved. Uh, she estimated she spent about 40 hours on top of her job with the school district to navigate that process alone. She also said that would-be child care providers in remote parts of Alaska who say they can't get licensed because of the state requirements, some based on federal rules, aren't responsive to the realities of where they live. I mean, the state is not being responsive. That means there's either no child care or not enough child care to meet the demand. Um, apparently, 
Uh, some of the different things that they have to deal with include having everyone in the household of a child care worker be fingerprinted. To be a state-licensed home child care provider, everyone in the home needs to be fingerprinted. But there's not a lot of fingerprinting machines in Bush, Alaska. So would-be providers from villages have to buy a plane ticket to go to someplace like Dillingham, a central hub somewhere. They have fingerprinting equipment and a solid internet connection, something they don't have in Kotzebue. Now, or you could fly one person out to a variety of, but again, this all comes back. And if somebody comes home for like college or for the holiday or from a fishing, you know, they've been out fishing for six months and they move back into the home, like a young adult, 16, 18 years old, they have to get fingerprinted as well. The other thing is fire extinguishers. Apparently fire extinguishers are a big deal, but they can't be shipped to the villages because they're hazmat. They're hazardous materials. So they have to be shipped by ground, except for you can't get ground shipments to villages. And so they have to be on a charter plane that has no passengers, except for the pilot. I mean, I guess nobody ever mentioned that. Uh, it's just, again, government regulations on top of government regulations that have no, there's no gray area. These are all cookie cutter stamped regulations that do not take in the reality of living in a remote wilderness area in Alaska. Government creating the problems at all levels, all these restrictions and everything else. Now, they mentioned in this article, one of the things that's interesting is that the federal government has got some leeway. Uh, the State Department of Health, uh, let's see, it acknowledged that the fingerprinting, the State Department of Health acknowledged the fingerprinting and fire extinguisher requirements that are an issue, but the state says it doesn't have the authority to waive them because those are federal requirements. Of Elsewhere in the story, it talks about how the federal times, if you're working with federal guidelines, they give you some flexibility. They have some discretion to basically say, well, we'll just waive that for you here. But the state can't waive. This is government on top of government. on top. You want to know why there's a crisis? Let me just go back to my previous statement. Government is not the solution to the problem. Government is the problem. If these people just wanted to watch each other's kids for a little money, just do it. Just do it. And... I, I, you know, the problem is, is that a lot of them want to get the reimbursement. And so they got to get licensed so they can make more money instead of just working out a, a deal with your neighbors to say, hey, I'll watch your kids for five bucks a day, 10 bucks a day, 20 bucks a day, whatever it is. I'll watch your kids. You just bring them on over here and we'll just do it. And, you know, we'll have up to 10 or, you, you know, why are we begging for the state's permission to do all these things? Just do it. Well, but we want to do it so we can get all the federal money to help both. Ah, so again, it comes back to government is the problem. It's insane. Absolutely insane what we're dealing with. But again, this was the big, remember, this is the big speech from the floor. This was Jenny Armstrong and others saying, this is a crisis right here that we, you know, it's a mental, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, what, an epidemic. It's a problem. Well, it's a problem. If you wanted to do anything, state of Alaska, legislature, what you could have done is you could have lowered the hurdles for entry for new people to come into the child care market. You could have done that. The economics of that would work out. Because if you lowered the bar, then more people would rise to the surface. You wouldn't need to expend a bunch of government money to fund all these things instead of just get out of the way. That's the answer. All right. Anyway, 
the more I read these stories, the more my head just wants to explode. Uh, we're going to continue here. Hour two is dead ahead. Ed King is going to be joining us, economist. His article talking about the reason why Alaska still doesn't have a fiscal plan. It's a great breakdown. I'm looking forward to talking with him about it. That's coming up in hour two, which we're going to return from here, return to here in just a moment. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Don't forget, you can always come out and join us on Facebook. We've got 50 or 60 of our closest friends out there right now on Facebook, YouTube, or Twitch. Come out and be part of the chat room and enjoy it. Michael Duke Show, common sense radio. Okay. Let's, uh, let me go back here and I see that Ed King is in the green room. I don't see his video face yet, but I see his uh, icon there. So he's jumped in. Oh, there he is. He's jumping in. Um, I suppose what we could do real quick is just check the audio, make sure that he is all good to go. And uh, we will do that right now. Let's just jump in with uh, Ed and make sure that uh, everything is everything is good to go. Good morning, Ed. How are you doing, my friend? Good morning. <clears throat> hey, Michael. How are you? Good, good. How's life treating you? Oh, not too bad. Um, it's joy in the summer, but... Summer in Juneau is still uh, winter everywhere else. Yeah, no, I, I hear that for sure. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's a little uh, little cloudy and rainy there for most of the summer. I mean, I think you guys saw a UFO the other day. It was called the sun, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, all right, Ed. Well, that'd be great. Uh, I'll be right back to you then. I'm going to put you back in the, in the green room for a minute while I go through the comments. And we'll be starting back here in just a minute. All right. So Ed is down in the... Oh, it's out in the green room. Okay, it would let me go back up here and see what they are. Um, Jean, everybody's still talking about the float. Jeannie said she'd be down for that traveling show to come on up and do the do the float. Um, okay. Uh, let's see. Never shave the beard. Ah, it would be quick. It's. I mean, I shaved it down during the pandemic to almost nothing because I was so sick of having to wear the mask and everything else. And it was just boof. Anyway. Um, child care is a parent problem. Um, okay. Uh, why wouldn't it make sense to have one parent stay at home until the child goes to first grade? Uh, that's a great question. You know, uh, Anthony said the kerosene heater was my fault. I think that was when I showed up in your boiler and cracked at 50 below. Yes. I think that was when it was in fact, we basically were nurse. We nursed that boiler for the next three months, um, just through the rest of the winter because you can't replace a boiler in the middle of winter when it's forty or fifty below. Uh, so I think we had the kerosene heater going upstairs uh, just to keep everything warm. What? So you're probably right, but it's just funny how kids have a different recollection. We were so poor. We were. 
you had internet, you had food, you had, you know, clothing, you had all this kind of stuff. We ate good. We went to the movies. We had fun. I mean, I just don't see that being poor, but maybe. Uh, motorcycle versus eight troopers and Wasel police doing 120 miles an hour in the parks highway about 7 p.m. on Sunday. Huh. Okay. Um, Helgelian dialect. <laughs> right. It is random comment. Um, uh, our family, our family made, there was four of us, me, my brother, my mom, and my dad. My dad worked while my mom stayed at home. She did a lot of volunteer work at my school in the seventies and the eighties. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, it, uh, just one of those things. Uh, my mom taught, come on. Oh. Come on. Hello, computer. My my internet just chunked. My internet just chunked for a minute. Uh, same here. Mom taught art class segments in my class for my K through six years. Yep. Um, uh, Willie says, hardly any household in the village has two working parents. One works, the others don't want to babysit. That's a fact. Okay. Well, maybe that's part of the problem. They don't want to babysit. Okay. That's not how it's supposed to, again, it sounds like a you problem, not a me problem, right? That sounds like a you problem. Um, we have a problem in Alaska, uh, people taking care of the disabled and elderly, people going to assisted living because the healthcare agencies don't give their care providers the appropriate raises. Uh, who's monitoring that program? Okay. Uh, here is the thing. The argument, if is the argument, if is childcare is needed so that parents can go to work, employers complain about the lack of workers. Do I see a free market solution here? Yes. Maybe the employer should provide healthcare. If that's the problem, that would be a free, I mean, there are many companies out there that do provide some form of childcare, especially for the early preschool years. There's actually employers out there that have daycares on the, you know, on the premises. Uh, that is a free market solution. Um, okay. Uh, it's a problem for people working cottage industry. Mm, not that hard of a problem because if it's cottage industry, usually you're doing it out of your home. So you should be able to do both. Just saying. Uh, or even if, I mean, there's plenty of people who have their kids involved in their cottage industry. Um, anyway, um, uh, Jer Jerica says, Amy Morell's, it's not just financially feasible with today's economy. My husband makes more than or equal to what both my parents did. And I'm now looking for a job because the additional cost of winter put us over what he makes because of fuel costs and food costs going up. Um, I mean, I just have to say there's a lifestyle thing in there as well. Uh, we didn't always, I mean, we weren't poor. Like I'm, I disagree with my son that we were poor, but I will say we did have some choices to make some from time to time. It was definitely difficult sometimes. All right. Hour two dead ahead. Ed King, our guests, we're jumping into it. The Michael Duke show.
Whoa, buddy, put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station, and or FM translator. Welcome to Wednesday. It feels like Monday, but it's a short week, so feel good about that. Hope you had a great weekend and the big uh, four or five day weekend, depending on, or maybe two day weekend. I don't know what your work. It was five days for me, which was phenomenal. Feel great about it. Uh, but back to Wednesday now. We're into hour two, and we're going to dive down into a subject which, of course, is near and dear to our heart here on the program, and that is a full fiscal plan. Uh, economist Ed King wrote an article back a month ago today, in fact, June the 5th. Uh, and after he wrote it, I read it and I was like, oh, I got to get Ed on. And he's like, well, I'm going on vacation. He's gone. Uh, so he's back. He's ready to talk with us about this, uh, this article, uh, which is entitled, it's over on his blog, which is at kingeconomicsgroup.com. I've got links up in the chat room. I'll post another link right now for those of you who, uh, um, for those of you who want to uh, check it out, the headline of the article reads, The Reason Alaska Still Doesn't Have a Fiscal Plan. And it is a really great breakdown, essentially, of the different plans, the different factions that are in the legislature, the different players. Um, you know, what what is the good and the bad? What is the expected outcome? And uh, we're going to go through this now with Ed King, economist. I've been wanting to do this for a while and I'm kind of excited because I think his analysis on this, by the way, is spot on. So let's jump into it right now. Ed King is our guest. He joins us, and we get to say good morning to him. Good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning, Michael. How are you? You know, I no complaints. It was a five-day. Now, you had a great vacation. Did you, uh, did you enjoy yourself? <laughs> yeah, I'm glad to be back in the United States, though. Yeah, you were, uh, were you overseas? You're in Europe or something? Yeah, in, uh, in the U.K., uh, it, uh, it, it's, uh, it sounds like it was a, I, 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 Brad Keithley's over in Ireland right now. And my wife is always like, oh man, that just irritates me. Cause she, she's like, I want to go so bad. Um, but, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's good to be back in the good old US of A. I'm sure it's a whole different thing. Um, well, Ed, let's start off. Uh, and I basically just want you to walk us through this article from start to finish and, you know, add to whatever we got here going on. But this is a great breakdown on why we keep talking about this whenever we talk about on the program a full fiscal plan, usually we're referencing back to the fiscal policy working group plan, which is, I guess, keep Alaska red plan. That was what you would say. Uh, on the other side, you had the Senate come out today and or, uh, this last session and say, well, 
we've got our fiscal plan, which their fiscal plan is obviously to consume the PFD. It's the 75-25, which will be the 80-20-90-10-100% percent plan in the future, right? So break this down for us and start us out. Walk us through this at the beginning. Uh, let's talk a little bit about this. Let's talk about the history of it and then the options, the four options for a long-term fiscal plan. Yeah, sure. So the you know, the article, I kind of just went through it from the perspective of a game theorist or a strategist and said, well, wh- who are let, let's break this down a little bit like I would for a client. And I, I said, OK, wh- what if we want to understand where we want to get, we have to understand three things. We have to understand who the players are, what their motivations are and what their alternatives are and compare them to ours. Uh, and so that's that's what the article is really trying to do is is break down what are those alternatives, who are those players, and how do we expect this to play out based on the value metrics that each of those players have, which I think is very important to the conversation because a lot of people, I don't know um, if they fully appreciate the fact that different solutions have different values to different people. Um, and a lot of times in economics, we try to think of things in terms of um, dollars and cents, but that's not always the best way to uh, approach a problem like this. Right. Um, and so that's that's kind of important as well. So uh, the history, I guess, um, Michael, you know, this this whole fiscal plan is not new. This whole fiscal fiscal plan working group solution is not new. Um, you know, I when this back in 2016, when I was working for Governor Walker, Um, We went back and looked at some of the history in in the 80s, you were seeing exactly the same conversation. You were seeing, um, you know, what are the solutions to our, our, as oil starts to decline and the oil prices are falling off, what can we do? Um, And the conversation was the same. We can cut the budget, we can cut the dividend, we can raise taxes, uh, yada, yada, yada. So it's, it's that fiscal plan, this whole conversation is not new. Um, And in fact, the whole, when I, when I get, when we get down to the talking about the players, you know, this all goes back to the whole discussion around the permanent funds creation and what it was created for uh, and the differences of opinions um, that still exist today on whether the, the permanent fund is the people's fund or whether it's the government's fund. Right. Well, we've had that argument many times here on the program, sometimes within the listenership, sometimes with guests. I subscribe to the Hammond plan that, I mean, this was uh, this is uh, this is Alaska's share of the resource since I didn't write the constitution, but it's a quasi socialistic document, right? That says we all own it together. So to me to spin off a small portion of it to the people as their fair share seems to make sense. I mean, Hammond's argument resonates with me. I think that that makes sense, but there are people out there who believe that it's just government money and it's just a government handout. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of them in it and there's a growing number. Um, it seems you know, as as people move away from the state or or pass pass away or whatever, you know, the people that were here when when the fund was created and understood what the um, what was being unsaid when that constitutional amendment was passed, there are fewer and fewer of those every day. Right. So let's talk about the uh, let's talk about the four different options that constitute basically what you know what we call a long term or a fiscal plan a full fiscal plan um and mm. in your game theory you you said look there's 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 hurdles that we have to overcome there the we have to overcome a certain we have to we have to receive a certain amount of support from the house from the senate from the governor and there's different paths and they require different things so break down the four different plans for us and what is required for each of those yeah so the you there's Kind of three major plans and then there's 
a fourth plan that's a compromise of any of the other three, which you know is actually an infinite number of plans, but um, I just call it one. But you, you basically can just think of the three factions in the legislature and look at what their number one priority is on how to solve the problem that they see. Um, and so you have you have the one on the one hand, you have the, the kind of quote unquote Democrat plan um, where they just say, all we need is taxes. Right. We don't need to cut the government. We don't need to cut the dividend. All we need is taxes. And you have some legislators that think that that's an oil tax. You have some that thinks that's an income tax. Doesn't really matter. Um, the solution in their mind is don't cut the government. Just give us more money. Um, and then you have the two kind of Republican factions, the 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 ones that subscribe to the Hammond uh, mentality, like like you mentioned, I'm uh, right there with you, actually, um, where where we think of the, the permanent fund and the dividend as kind of a royalty trust that benefits Alaskans. Um, and in their in our minds, I suppose, um, you know, the permanent fund and the dividend isn't intended for the government. And so if you take it away, um, it's just another form of tax. And so you, what you see there is is that we have more of a libertarian kind of a mindset where the government should be as small as, as it can be um, still effective and taxes should be minimum um, and leave the permanent fund dividend alone because it belongs to the people. And if you wanna, if you wanna uh, pay for more government then ask the people for their consent and raise taxes to do that. So I right. call that kind of the Hammond plan or the right. keep Alaska red plan. Right, and, and then, then, go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah, and then the other one is is kind of the no taxes plan, the the Hickel kind of mindset, where he believed that you know the intent of the permanent fund was to sock away some money uh, to replace government revenues when oil revenues declined, um, and so from that perspective, um, it's not a matter of cutting the budget or raising taxes; it's just a matter of transitioning away from a dividend, um, and so they kind of have this mentality that the dividend is. A distribution of of surplus revenue, um, which is a different perspective than than you or I or some of your listeners might have, but it's it's kind of the default perspective from anybody outside that doesn't understand Alaska and what our what our permanent fund was created for, um, because that's the way that they think about things in the lower forty eight. Right, right. Well, some interesting things as you go through each one of these. The the Turn Alaska Blue plan, which is the Democratic plan, I think you 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 nail it specifically um, because, and we've talked about it in these ways on the show. You say uh, the preferred long term plan from the perspectives of the Democrats would be in the one in which the government grows while the private sector shrinks. We've had legislators and people, and and I've had people from Juno reach out to me and talk to me, and he said, "There's some people around here who just believe, as long as the government's fully funded, the economy's doing great." That's in their mind when they say, "Oh, the economy's doing great." They're not talking about <clears throat> the private economy is just an afterthought. They don't even they don't care if it's good or it's bad, as long as the government sector grows, as long as the government sector is robust and receiving all the funding. That to them is the ideal. And and I think that's shock. And it's not just Democrats that are that way as well, but I see what, how you laid this out. And then this whole no taxes plan, you and I are obviously in the keep Alaska red plan kind of thing. So we, we understand that. And I think most of the listeners do. But in the no taxes plan, again, this whole idea of, well, just take the dividend because we don't want any taxes. Not realizing that, I mean, the argument there to me is just so amazing because it is a tax. If that is your money, 
it is a, you are already being taxed. Now, wouldn't you rather have a tax that is more equitable, that is spread across the board in a different way, that doesn't impact the lowest, you know, middle, median to lowest income earners the greatest? Wouldn't that make sense? And they just look at you like kind of, well, no, it's government money. But this is now let's talk about the compromise, because that's the final one. Like you said, there's a million shades of gray between the right and the left, the bookends or whatever. The compromise plan. Let's talk about that. What is, you know, in your mind, you, you, like you said, there could be a million of them, but in your mind, what is the the middle of the road compromise plan there? Yeah, we kind of we kind of saw that come out of the fiscal plan working group a few years ago, two years ago, I suppose, maybe. Um, and it has it has many components. Basically, it's a it's a, a little bit of everything. So there's a small tax involved. There's um, you know budget cuts involved. There's a spending cap involved. There's a PFD, a change to the PFD formula involved. Um, and so the idea there is that you take a little bit from every everybody, and then nobody is completely happy, but everybody is content. Um, and that's kind of how you get to a you know, a solution when you're trying to negotiate is, is you think about, well, what am I, what am I getting? What am I giving up? And I'm I willing to make that trade. Um, the problem though, is that that plan is actually unattainable given the makeup of the legislature and the um, court decision that was made in 2016. And the court decision, by the way, made in 2016, basically told the legislature that when it comes to appropriations measures, they don't have to follow the law. Now, they, in my mind, that should have been clarified to say, you're not bound by statute. You can change it. Instead, they interpreted it as, well, we can just ignore the statute. We can leave it on the books and ignore it. Of course, that's the problem. We've got HB 20 or we got SB 26, which is the POMV law and the original PMD for, uh, PFD formula, which are directly at loggerheads. They directly contradict each other. So now they can go ahead and they can choose which law they want to follow. I mean, it really is creating some problems and leading to the whole idea of an Irish democracy where when they can ignore whatever law they want. That's dangerous uh, overall. They should change it. I mean, that that court case should have been a little more explicit about you can change the law if you don't like it. You don't have to follow the law. You can change it. Instead, it was interpreted as, well, you don't have to follow the law, period. Just leave it on the books and follow it. Um, which and I, I like to point out. I like to point out as well that uh, to to just ignore the law requires uh, 11 senators and 21 just a bare minimum of, uh, we just lost Ed there for a second, just a bare minimum of the legislature is what it requires. Just the just the bare minimum, 11 and 21. We just broke up there for a second, Ed. Uh, but oh. we're going we're gonna to take a quick break when we're going to come back. Uh, I do want to talk about, because as Ed said, the problem with this is that it's almost, a, we saw what happened. It's multiple pieces that have to all be moved simultaneously. And because we've got a single, we've got the single subject rule, we can't put it into an omnibus bill. So now we have to move each piece individually. And if any one of those pieces falls through, the whole plan can come apart. It's one of the reasons why we don't have a fiscal plan right now. We're going to continue this and continue to talk with Ed King here in just a moment. The Michael Duke Show continues. Common sense, liberty-based. Free Thinking Radio, back with more here in just a moment. Don't go anywhere.
listened to by more staffers in Juno than any other show. Because their bosses told them to. And after what they just heard, oh man, they're gonna be pissed. You're a bad, bad man. The Michael Duke Show. Okay, on the line uh, we've uh, Ed King. Yeah, sorry about that, Ed. We had an internet drop for a second there. We lost you. But again, essentially basically saying all they need is 21 and 11 to make something happen, right? To uh, ignore the law, that's all they need is 21 and 11. And in fact, if they want to ignore the law on one side, like in the Senate, they can do that as well just with 11. That's all they need to make it happen. Yeah. Um, and that's the, that's the challenge. Um, you know, Mm -hmm. you create, and that's why some of these things have to be changed in a constitutional way instead of just statutory. I mean, to me, it's a joke to put a statutory spending limit in because we've seen historically in the past, there's been times when they put a spending limit in and broken it in the same session. I mean, it's like, wait a second, you just, you just fought and died on this hill. And then in the same session, you go ahead and break it. Well, it's because we can't, that's a, that's the danger, right? It is. Yeah. I actually went back and looked at that, uh, the constitution, I'm sorry, the statutory spending limit when it was broken back in like 2013 or 14 or whatever. And I was trying to find anybody making the case or the argument that you can't pass this budget because it violates the law. Could not find a mention of it anywhere wasn't even on the radar. Yeah. They just passed the spending limit and they're like, nope, here you go. I mean, what a waste, what a wasted, wasted effort. Uh, it's astonishing. Um, as you go through this, uh, and you let's, 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 uh, let's recycle here a little bit and go back again to Mm -hmm. the four main options and the compromise plan. You said something that I think is very brilliant. It doesn't make everybody happy. How did you put it? Nobody's happy, but everybody's content in the end because everybody loses a little bit. But to have that, you got to have a little bit more of a balance in the legislative powers because otherwise there's no ways to, there's no way to force people to give a little bit on each side. Right. Yeah. The, the problem is, is really that, that court decision. So you can, you can no longer, you're no longer have damn the internet uh for example like oh we broke up again yeah go ahead i'm sorry you no longer have what i'm sorry uh we no longer have parity so the the solution for um the democrats is a tax which requires 21 and 11 the solution for the hickles requires you know a change to the budget or the statutory formula well the statutory formula doesn't matter so it's just the budget which needs 21 and 11 but the Hammonds no longer have that option because of the Supreme Court decision. You cannot fix it with a statute. You need the constitutional change. Right. And that's that's the problem. And there's not enough of a balance. And we're going to get into that here in a few minutes. But it, it is interesting. Rob Myers uh, made an interesting uh, connection. And I'm sure that you're referring to it here when you're talking about that disconnect between the public sector and the private sector. Um, you know, Rob Meyer said there's a whole contingent down here that basically are saying as long as we can live off the permanent fund, as long as we can keep taking the PFD and live off the corpus of the fund, off the spinoff earnings of the fund, then it doesn't matter at all what happens in the private economy. And that disconnect is dangerous. I mean, from your perspective, I got about a minute here, but tell me your thoughts on that, that disconnect between the public and the private economy when it occurs. 
Yeah, that's that's a re really big problem, actually. If you know the whole idea that we can just live off the permit fund implies that we don't need to care about what's happening in the private sector. In fact, what's happening in the private sector might actually conflict with what people want to do with those funds coming from the investment. So there's actually an incentive under that scenario to reduce the size of the private sector. Right, right. Which is, again, part of the huge problem. Scary. Here. I, I want to and I, I do want to talk about that a little bit later on when we're back on the air. We're about uh, 35 seconds out right now. So we're going to rejoin. Ed King is our guest. Propel says, tell me how a few thousand taxpayers can fill this bloated budget. The budget should be set by anticipated revenue, then figure the spending. That's why charter of change number four is to change the funding propelled. Because that's what we need to do. We need to change the funding. We need to change the way we factor it. Instead of just basing it on projected oil, we need to actually look at what our revenue has been, set a five-year rolling average, figure it out from there, and then, again, zero base it is what we should do. But, I mean, that's a heavy, heavy lift. All right, let's get back into it. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Public enema number one. Oh, wait, sorry. Uh, enemy. Public enemy number one, which uh, makes more sense. On the other hand, he's a little bit of a pain in the uh, Michael Duke show. <laughs> a pain in the something? What? I don't know what you're talking about. All right, welcome back. The Michael Duke show continues. Ed King is our guest. He's an economist uh, with the King Economics Group. He's written an article called The Reason Alaska still doesn't have a fiscal plan. We just went through the three different plans, or four different plans, the three main ones in the compromise, I guess. And uh, Ed was telling us why the compromise is nearly impossible and the Keep Alaska Red plan, which would be the preferred Hammond plan, is nearly impossible. Now let's talk about the players. Again, you were talking about game theory um, uh, is, as how you looked at this, Ed. So tell us in game theory, what the players means. What does that, what does that mean? Yeah. The player players in game theory are just anybody that has the power to make a decision. So anybody that can change the outcome by their actions is a player in the game. Um, and so here in this case, what we're really looking at is, is the, you know, the Senate, the house and the governor. Um, and then within each, within the house and the Senate, you have, you have kind of three competing interests or groups. Um, you have what I call the Robin Hood group that want to take from the rich and give to the poor. Um, you could say that that's mostly the Democrats, but it's also some independents and, and, and not every Democrat subscribes to that, but for the most part, um, that's the case. So I just call it the Robin Hood player um, because of that mentality. And then you have the, the kind of traditional Hammond versus Hickel um, issue that we've had in the state for decades. So the Hammonds are people that believe that the permanent fund is a royalty trust for the benefit of Alaskans. Uh, and the Hickels are people that think that the permanent fund is a endowment for the government um, so that we don't have to pay taxes, other taxes, right? So they, they think that the primary difference is the Hammonds think the permanent fund belongs to the people and the money that it generates belongs to the people. Whereas the Hickels think the opposite. They think that belongs to the government and it should be spent on government. And only if we have excess revenue, should we give it to the people. Right. Now, Hickel was pretty, um, 
he was pretty down. He was pretty down on the dividend. He he was not a fan of the PFD. He said that you quote him in here saying, claiming that our citizens care about the dividend the way a drug addict cares about getting his fix, which I thought was. I mean, that's that's pretty arrogant there uh, when Hammond or Hammond was pretty eloquent as to why the PFD made sense for the people. Hickel was just basically disdainful of the whole process. And I think that reflects his whole idea of no taxes and everything else. Um, you mentioned uh, the you mentioned the Robin Hood players. Um, but, you know, Brad Keithley comes on and talks about this quite often. Um, and some people have termed it as class. They're tired of Brad talking about class warfare. I don't think he's necessarily talking about class warfare as much as he's talking about the reality of the effect of the taking of the PFD when it disproportionately affects the lowest 50 or 60 percent of the income earners in the state of Alaska, which is the vast majority of actual population based people. That's a significant amount. He's not saying tax the rich and give it to the poor. Um, he's talking about having an equitable tax that spreads the burden overall. Um, but there's really no group that really addresses that per se, right? There's no players that are really talking about that per se. Well, that that would be the Hammonds mostly that that want to do that, want to maintain the dividend because it belongs to the people and view the taking of the dividend as a tax. Um, you know, the, the Democrats or the Robin Hood players, they, they do support the dividend generally just because it does have such a benefit for the poor. But what they seem to really want is is to solidify that. So to take so because the, the dividend currently goes to every Alaskan and it's not means tested, they don't like the fact that, you know, the, the top 20 percent are getting that dividend. And so they want to capture that and give it back to the just the poor people. Right. So the only way you can do that is turn the dividend into a welfare check. And right. that's effectively what you're talking about. Right. So they they want the means testing so that the upper echelon can't have it. But unfortunately, mm -hmm. they're not talking about distributing it as cash. They're instead saying services are like cash. And so therefore, that money goes to fund and build more government, which, of course, builds into their whole plan of bigger, better government and forget the private sector overall. Yeah. And it's a, the... Uh, the insulting accusation that the people aren't good enough with their money, that the government can spend oh, it for them. Right. Better, right. Cause it's drinking it all, drinking it all up or using it for drugs or buying jet skis or going to Hawaii or right. whatever critical thing that had been said on both the left and the right about that kind of stuff. Again, this just goes back to that old axiom, the old government disease of we know better than you, how, how you should spend your money kind of thing. Now, you're an economist, and I've touched on this a couple times, but the one thing that is absent in your discussion here, maybe I've just missed the – maybe you subtly mentioned it, was the idea of the dividend and the effect that dividend has, a full dividend would have, in the economy. Because a private dollar going to the economy turns, what, six, seven, eight times the multiplier effect usually in a private economy? Um, yeah, if you, if you had a more closed economy, that would be true. Unfortunately, Alaska is a very leaky economy, so we have a smaller multiplier than that. But yeah, the idea that, that the, the public uh, can spend money better than the private sector is generally a false statement. Right, because the number of times that it turns in the public economy, that same dollar, uh, it, maybe it turns five times in the private economy, it turns what, less than one time in the public yeah. economy? Yeah, and and it turns zero times if you just stock it in the savings account, yeah, which, which is, is what, what we yeah. actually see. Which is what happened for the first two or three years. People don't realize that when they say, "Oh, he took the dividend and they funded government with." No, they took the dividend and they left it sitting there 
in the account. It did absolutely nothing for the first three years before they actually tapped in and drew on the earnings reserve to pay for government, which was, again, just adding insult to injury, especially when they looked us in the face and said, we need that for government. What happened for three years? Um, all right. Uh, yeah, it's still going on, actually, right? The whole the whole POMV approach, the 5%, because it's less than the actual earnings rate of the fund, um, the 5% POMV itself forces savings to occur. And so you're taking money out of the economy, putting it into the savings account, even today. Right. Well, and what's interesting with that is, is you also have players in the legislature who are smart enough to realize, and they are very obviously members of the government should live off the permanent fund crew who are then mm-hmm. doing things like transferring a billion dollars here and a billion dollars there out of the ERA back into the corpus of the fund, thereby extenuating that crisis down the road to what happens if we do hit that 5% wall where it's not under the fund government. Well, now there's an argument to be made to tapping deeper into the fund and going above that 5%. That's the problem. I mean, that that yeah. is another problem, right? It is. And and you have to think about what the what the economy and what the makeup of the legislature looks like when you get to there. Um, so it's really easy for us to to look at the future anchored to the present. But when you're thinking about the future, you need to think about what the future looks like as those decisions are being made. And that's where game theory really comes in. Right. So when you get to that point, when you get to the point where the government is consuming the entire five percent, you've also moved Alaska further and further to the left along the way. And so when that decision needs to be made, you're going to end up with an income tax, right? Right. Because the people that will be in charge are the people that support the income tax. It won't be the Hickles anymore. Right. Well, and here's my thing. It'll be, this is a delaying tactic. And this is what I've been saying. The more they consume the PFD and like now it's 75, 25, and it's going to be 80, 20, then it'll be 85, 15, et cetera, et cetera. But within the, within just a couple short years, this self-licking ice cream cone will be gone. And then they'll Mm -hmm. look you in the eye and say, well, you know, you should really pay your fair share. I mean, other yep. states have an income tax. We should have an income tax because, you know, that's really fair. You guys haven't paid anything for years. Now you need to. This is what this just delays the inevitability of that tax. And instead of being able to have an argument about which tax is best, which I think should be the argument we're having right now. Instead, it'll mm-hmm. be a crisis point moment of saying, well, we've got to have a tax because otherwise we're going to be upside down next year kind of thing. Yep. Exactly. And along the way, we'll, we will have grown the government and we will have shrunk the private sector in the process. And so your electorate is going to be more and more blue uh, as you get there. Yeah. So 10, 20 years from now, when that decision gets made, you're, it's already too late. Yeah. Well, and we talked about it during the break a little bit. I mean, Rob Myers came on board and with a kind of an eye-opening discussion he and I had about the disconnect that's occurring now and will only be exacerbated in the future. Uh, by the current trend in government, which is as long as the government economy is doing fine, we don't care about what happens in the private sector, that by consuming money and basically living off the largesse of the permanent fund itself and those earnings and basically having no connection, there's a disconnect that's occurred between the public and the private sector where it doesn't matter what happens in the private sector. And that's very dangerous. As an economist, tell us your thoughts on that. 
Yeah, that, it does become very dangerous because you have a situation where I don't think, well, maybe in the Middle East, you have this situation where where the government doesn't need to tap into the economy. And so there's in most economies, you have a tie between the government and the private sector. And so the private sector is paying attention to what the government's doing. And the government has an incentive to support the economy because it means more revenues. In Alaska, you don't have that, right? We don't have that direct tie. So the only connection that we currently have is the permanent fund dividend. Uh, and the the amount of the dividend gets people to pay attention to how much money the government is spending. Um, if you go down this path and you no longer have a dividend, you've now broken every tie between the government and the people. Uh, and if if along the way you raise oil taxes and stop investment and get oil production to stop, then the only other tie that we have where the government does care about what's happening in the in, in the private sector also goes away. Right. And so when you have a government that can only fund itself through its investment earnings, and it's not connected to the what's happening in the private sector. Um, as those earnings become too small, one solution would be to take money from the private sector. Another solution would be to shrink the size of the of the the um, the need of, for government. And so you actually have this direct conflict between the public and private sector um, when you don't have them connected, working on the same page. Right. In in the ideal world, what they'd like to see is a smaller private economy because that means fewer people to deliver services to and everything else. And again, government becomes the the self-sustaining beast of as long as it's, you know, like I said, a lot of people, I, I said in an ideal world, a lot of people would think, well, we just need to turn Alaska into a park. And basically mm -hmm. the only private sector we have here is those private sector resources that service or fund government, right? Or service and, and and deal with government. That's that is in many of these people's uh, minds an ideal world in that regard. Yep. Um, all it right. Is. So now we're going to get to the payoffs. Um, give me. We're going to take a break, but give me a quick setup here for the payoffs. Explain to me what you mean by that, with the different players and the dollars and the and the and you know the the assigning different values to each option, et cetera. Give me that uh, quick quick yeah. piece for that. Sure. Yeah. So just in general, the, the idea is that, that different people have different value metrics. And so you can't really compare uh, the, the same action to different people has a different impact or a different output. Um, and in this case, what we're really talking about is how a dollar going into different sectors of the economy has different value for the different players. All right. We're going to get into that here and talk about that. Ed King is our guest. The Michael Duke Show continues. We've got more coming up. Don't go anywhere. We'll return in just a moment. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Ed King, our guest. We return with final thoughts and the final segment right here on your Oprah Common Sense Radio. Running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. Ha, <laughs> nice beard. The Michael Duke Show. Okay, uh, in the break uh, with Ed King. Uh, Ed, if you were king for a day, <laughs> sorry, if you were king yeah. for a day, and could make the changes that you need. I mean, you've already said that you're kind of part of the Keep Alaska Red plan uh, in your mind. What, I mean, what changes would you make if you could just wave your magic wand and and 
make an edict from on high. What would what would what would Ed King do if uh, you had the power to pull all this stuff out? The, the first thing I would do is I would take the permanent fund uh, and take it away from the legislature. So make it a, a kind of a fourth branch of government and and give all of the, the responsibilities for resource development to that fund. So you the idea would be right now, a large part of our problem in the state is that we have we're juggling the two uh, responsibilities, the responsibilities of the owner of the resource and the owner and the responsibility is the sovereign and regulator of development. Um, and you have one agency that's doing both at DNR and you have the government that's looking at it, both um, streams of revenue, uh, but looking at them as though they compete. So if if the permanent fund was not within the legislature's purview and it was actually just a royalty trust that distributed money to the people, we wouldn't have any of these problems. And then all of the conversation could actually be around how do we raise the money that we need to pay for the services that we're willing to pay for? Right. Well, and that's my argument has been if you put the formula in the Constitution, they can't sidestep it anymore. And they would be faced with the reality of you don't have any more. You, you, you're then you're up against the hard space, right? Then you, you're up against yep. the wall. You can't kick the can down the road anymore. You realize you don't have the money to do all the things that you want with government because there's no longer that piggy bank of the PFD to break into. If we took that off the table, not only one would it stop sucking up all the oxygen in the room every year, we'd be really, truly, we would be faced with the decisions that we have needed to make for the last 10 years. Yep. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of the problem with the, with the permanent fund being used for government is that it allows the government to be larger than the economy can support. Um, and and that so the the lack of that conversation around hey are we actually willing to pay for the things that we want, you know that conversation doesn't have to happen. Yeah, that's and problematic. That it is problematic. It is problematic. I think that would probably be the biggest thing, if you were to do one thing, that would be the biggest thing to do to make them face reality. Anything else is King 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 Ed King would do yeah. uh, out there uh, on the thing. Yeah, you, you got to put in an actual spending limit, like a constitutionally required limit to how much the government can spend and tie it directly to the size of the economy. So that even if we do have some other situation where federal dollars or some other outside money comes in, we can't allow the government to grow bigger than we can support. Right. It had, to the local economy, not just the, econo- the economy outside, but just to the state economy itself. I've made the argument yeah. that the spending cap should be based on uh, past years, not expenditures, but revenues, that, that a spending cap should be based on revenues, not expenditures. Now, I'm not an economist, nor do I play one on TV. What is your thought on something like that? Because again, basing it on like, again, like the permanent fund, a five-year rolling average of what we've received, we can build a plan kind of off that. Uh, but uh, others have said, no, 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 we need something that basically ties into the economy and a cost of living increase, et cetera, et cetera. What is your thought on the perfect spending cap? Uh, so in my perfect world, I would take all of the earnings from the permit fund and all of the oil revenues and throw it all into the CBR and then say you can't grow the government by more than you know two or three percent per year um, and you draw it off of the account. So that account will get larger when we have um, the volatility moves, the cycle moves up and then we have money to draw on when it draws down. Um, because that's really the problem. And even, even if you do retroactively look at kind of historic revenues, you still have this problem of correlating 
a downturn in the economy with access to savings. And that's right. that's really where the problem is. Putting it in the CBR, of course, raises the bar because then you have to have a higher threshold to draw it out to begin with. That, exactly. That would definitely give more engagement, right, on all these things. Yeah, you need at least a three-quarter vote if you're going to exceed the the previous year's spending. Yeah. Now, you probably only want to ratchet that up a little bit because otherwise you're just going to need a three-quarter vote every year, and that's right. not going to work out very well. Right, right. Um, which, which leads me to the question of the CBR sweep, um, the sweep and the, and the, and the unsweep, what you have quick thoughts on that less than 45 seconds here, but do you have quick thoughts on that? Yeah, it's pretty stupid. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's a circumvention <laughs> of the constitution and then the court's decision that the, uh, the sweep, yeah. that there's such a thing as a, a fund in the treasury that's not in the general fund and this ability to just completely sidestep the constitution is absolutely the second most ridiculous decision the court has ever made. Um, but you know, here we are. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. That's uh, exactly where we're at. Okay. Ed King is our guest. We're going to finalize and finish up here. The Michael Duke show, uh, common sense, liberty-based free thinking radio. We're going to talk about payoffs and we're going to talk about potential expected outcomes, winning the game, et cetera, uh, with Ed King right here. Please like, and share. Like and follow, uh, get some more folks involved in this conversation. If you'd like to do so, you can do it on Facebook or YouTube, wherever you want to go. Let's jump back into it. Here we go. Common Sense Radio. The Michael Duke Show. Seriously humorous with a pinch of intellect. <laughs> pinch of intellect. Sorry. That is humorous. Here's Michael Duke's. What are you trying to say? I mean, it's a pinch. Doesn't say how big your hands got to be, but you know. Um, all right. Welcome back to the program. Ed King is our guest. Uh, we're talking about his article that he posted up over on his blog, King uh, KingEconomicsGroup.com, uh, entitled The Reason Alaska Still Doesn't Have a Fiscal Plan. We're going to talk about, we're going to wrap up here. We're going to talk about the payoffs for all three of the Robin Hoods, the Hammonds and the Hickle groups. And then how we win the game and what he uh, has as the expected outcome here. Uh, let's start off with the payoffs here, uh, Ed. Yeah, so the the idea of the payoffs is just that the the solutions that are available, whether it's a budget cut, a PFD cut, or um, a raising of taxes, the way that you the way that the government gets access to that dollar has a different value based on your your premise. So if your premise is that government is good then taking money from the private economy and giving it to the public sector has value, positive value, right? Whereas from the perspective of like a libertarian or a more conservative Republicans view, the government services don't create that much value. And so taking it from the private sector is actually a net negative. Um, and so that same dollar raised in a different way has different value to different people. Um, and the same thing is true with the, with the PFD cuts, right? The, the, the people that like us that believe that that is the people's money, we think that taking that money is is more detrimental than um, taking that money away from the budget, um, and actually more detrimental than taking that money in a different form of tax as well. Uh, whereas you have some of the other Republicans, like the Ham the Hickel Republicans, that think, well, that that the dividend um, is just government money going to the people. So if I take it away, it doesn't hurt. It's just taking or it's giving them less. Um, and so they don't they don't feel the pain taking the money from the dividend. And so their value metric is very different. Um, but they really dislike taxes. You can see that with the, you know, the Natasha von Imhoffs of the world. Right. Um, 
you the this idea of having to pay a tax while also distributing money to the people is just like very offensive to them for various reasons right exactly well and you talk about winning the game and you basically say if any of these groups had enough members to get their way the game would already be over and historically the hammond group was large enough to win outright but since 2016 that's changed yeah yeah and that's that's because of the court's decision in 2016 primarily um because it changed the narrative and then so with the with the veto by governor walker um the idea that touching the dividend was political suicide kind of uh went away and so once it was once it was kind of like blessed by the supreme court more and more of these hickle people are are willing to stand up and say, hey, here's a solution that's painless to you, um, their constituents. The the uh, the problem with that though is um, that the I, I forgot I forgot where I was going with that. Sorry. No, no problem. You said basically none of the preferred plans can be achieved uh, yeah, under yeah. the current legislative makeup, and that means passing a long term plan is going to require compromise, which has become a dirty word in this legislative process. Yeah. Yeah, and that's I guess that's what I was I was saying is that so we've normalized this idea that taking the dividend is okay because it supports teachers and troopers and things like that. And every year that we reduce the dividend or don't pass the um, or don't follow the statute or don't change the statute, we've kind of normalized that behavior. Um, and so now it's no longer offensive to the electorate to get a smaller dividend because it's kind of normal. Um, and so what that means is that the the, the Hammonds that are um, running based on this idea that we need to give the people their money, um, it's falling on more and more deaf ears, I guess. Uh, and so it's harder and harder for them to get elected. And you're seeing kind of the makeup of the legislature slowly shift um, to the left that way, I would say to the left, but um, against the PFD regardless. And so... That's that's why I think what we've seen since 2016 is that normalizing of that behavior um, has really led to where we are now, where the PFD cut is the the bar of or the path of least resistance. Right. It is, again, the least painful option in many of the electorate's minds uh, versus what is inevitably. I mean, again, this is the thing, Ed. It's inevitable. It To me, I could see the handwriting on the wall. It is inevitable that we will have taxes in this state because the government Mm -hmm. grows at, what, $150 million a year? Uh, Just if you did nothing else, if you didn't increase anything, you just let it, if you just set it to cruise control and said go, over 10 years, we'd be up a billion and a half dollars just based on those. It's going to consume all the money in the room. We're going to have taxes. Now, whether that's 24 months from now or whether that's 60 months from now, it's going to happen in the near future. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's I like to say that, you know, the government is an insatiable beast that will consume the economy and then starve to death. That's kind of the path we're on. Right. Well, exactly. I mean, it'll reach that point. Um, You talk about the expected outcomes. And I think I know basically where we're at right now. You basically talk about there's the two Republican factions, the Hammonds and the Hickles. They agree to a smaller budget, a smaller PFD and no taxes. Or you get the Hammond Republicans and the Democrats together to agree on a slightly larger budget and a larger PFD with some form of tax to balance it out. Or finally, what we I think we've ended up with today, which is the Hickle Republicans join the Democrats to pass a larger budget, a much smaller PFD and no taxes. I mean, I think that third one is exactly where we're at right now. 
It is, yeah. And the, the problem, again, is that we can't solve the PFD problem through statute. You have to do it through the Constitution. And so for for the Hammond Republicans to join with the Robin Hood group uh, and, and pass a fiscal plan, you, you would have a statutory imposition of a tax without any teeth in a statutory fix to the to the pfd so the right. bar is different you need more right. you need 27 and and uh, 14 instead of um 11 and 21 and, yeah. and so that doesn't work right the the republicans can't accept a tax in exchange for one pfd right like it, that, that won't work and so that 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 strategy just it, it's not not feasible Right. So what you end up with instead is that the Hickel group has to be involved one way or the other. Um, so they either can join the, the Republicans and pass a smaller budget and, um, you know, a smaller, a smaller budget and a smaller dividend, but not as small as it would otherwise be, because that's the compromise. Or you could just go to the Repo or to the Democrats and say, hey, we have enough extra money. Let's uh, go ahead and give you what you want in exchange for what we want. And that's no tax. And that's where we are. That's yeah. the path of least resistance. And that's what you talk about here in the bottom line. The takeaway here is that the only alternative to PFD cuts is for the Hammond group and the Robin Hood group. For, so for us and the Democrats to join forces, but we just don't agree on much. They're basically yeah. at opposite ends of the political spectrum. And there's no way that that's going to last in a long. And like you said, the hurdle for a lot of this stuff is much higher because it has to be constitutional. We could form some kind of coalition, but if it's statutory, we could get stabbed in the back next year mm -hmm. without without much problem. So here we are yeah. on the path of least go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's that's true. And and the problem too is that those two groups, the Hammonds and the Robin Hoods, they're not large enough to pass a constitutional amendment together. So you have to get all three groups together in order to actually pass a constitutional amendment that would be a true fiscal plan. But you can't, there's no solution where uh, what you have to give is is a good enough to offset what you have to give up, right? right? Or what you get is not enough to offset what you have to give up. And so there's no solution, especially with the with the Hammonds, um, their alternative, they, they have a viable alternative. The short-term solution is just grow the budget and shrink the dividend. The Democrats are, are willing to go along with that. And so there's nothing that you can give them in order to get them on board for a constitutional change. Right. And that's the crux of the problem is that the Hammonds win only if there's a constitutional change and you can't get there. Once you realize what the dynamics are, you say here, the future is pretty clear. Cutting the PFD to pay for government services in the long run is the long-term fiscal plan of least resistance. And that's what the path that we're on right now. And as you've said before, that path and what I've said, that path eventually leads to the death of the PFD. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think the, the, you know, the Hickel Republicans are perfectly okay with that. But the question is what happens next? You know, do you think that the government will be in check once the dividend is, is gone and there's no connection between the people and the, and the government? I don't think so. I think that's a, a recipe for disaster, but that's a future generations problem, I guess. Uh, final thoughts here, Ed. We're down to the last two minutes, so I'll give you the floor here. Final thoughts and summate on this article and where we're going. Where are we going in the future? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, the the whole idea of a long term fiscal plan. Uh, you know, we we talk about it, but we don't really define what that means, and it means different things to different people. And so, I think if you talk to some people, um, they would say we do have a long term fiscal plan. We're on it, right? We're doing it every year. We've done it the last six years. We've done it, um, and and that's. That's kind of true. That is a fiscal plan. It's just not the preferred plan that most of us have. Um, 
but I, I mean, how do we fix that? Well, unless you, unless you elect more people that think like we do, uh, there really is actually no solution. Well, and that's part of the problem, changing the players. And we thought we'd changed the players out enough. I mean, we changed out a third of the legislature. We thought we'd gotten enough, but unfortunately, the powers that be, the old guard is still in there and they're still running the playbook, regardless of what some of the newer members want. And so we're still getting that same business as usual approach going on inside the legislature. And until those people time out, term out, die out, whatever, they're running, they're running the show at this point. Yep. True story. Yeah. Uh, Ed King, uh, King <clears throat> economics group.com. Uh, are you working on anything new right now, Ed, as we get ready to wrap up here? Uh, I'm working on a couple of things, but I'm not ready to talk about them. Okay. <laughs> Keeping them under wraps. <laughs> well, uh, always watching for what you have written and always good to see what you have coming on. I really appreciate you. Uh, appreciate you coming on board and sharing with us. I, uh, I yeah. appreciate that. Thanks for the invite. It's been a good discussion and, uh, and I appreciate that. All right, folks, we got to go. Uh, Ed King, thank you so much. Good to talk with you. We will see you uh, in the future, my friend. Appreciate it. Uh, all right, folks, out of time. Tomorrow is another day. We're going to do something fun. We're going to talk to somebody good. I don't know who, but somebody. It'll be good. Thanks for being part of it today. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Make sure that you uh, come on out and join us on Facebook. Like and share. Do all that kind of stuff. Be kind. Love one another. Live well. We'll see you tomorrow. All right, folks, I got to go. Stuff to do, things and stuff. Appreciate you, Ed. Thank you for being part of it today. We will see you tomorrow, my friends. Have a great day. Be kind. shed our terrestrial radio skin and now we are slimy lizard internet people it's the michael duke show